babies. We are in uh, Matthew, the 25th chapter. We're wrapping up our uh, study on the book of Matthew. We'll be finished next week. Uh, in chapter 24, Jesus goes through and starts giving us the signs of the end of the world. And then in chapter 25, he gives us three parables. One, two, three, and then from there, it goes now into his passion and suffering and resurrection, something we talk about every year. So we'll be done as soon as we get to the end of this. Um, now this is a very famous parable of, that Jesus gave. It's called the parable of the talents, although my translation doesn't use that word. A talent uh, was a, an amount of money uh, back in uh, the Roman days. Uh, we held on to the word talent. Most translations, a lot of you have translations, even modern translations that still use the word talent here because the translator liked the word, because it works in English. You know, because we all have talents, right? Talents and abilities and stuff. So they like the analogy so about using your talents for God and stuff like that. Uh, my particular translation doesn't use the word talent, but it's known as the parable of the talents. There's these amounts of money. So, again, he says, verse 14, again, what's again? I'm talking about the end of the world, the end time. Last week, he said, number one, you need to be ready. Then he's going to tell something about today, this today. And then next week, we'll have three major statements that he's going to give about the end. Again, this end will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Big step when someone entrusts their wealth to somebody. Um, I think all of you would be very cautious <laughs> to give all your money to someone else. Even if you don't have very much money, still you want to be very careful about who handles your money, what you do, because it's a big deal. If you stop and think about it, it's really fascinating because God, in a sense, has entrusted his wealth to us. This message of the gospel, the glorious celebration of his son, uh, the birth that we're going to be celebrating uh, in the weeks to come, and uh, his death, his resurrection, this wonderful message, uh, he did not leave to angels to proclaim. Angels don't fly around telling everyone about this message. We don't see it written in the sky. We don't see some miraculous way. He has entrusted this incredible message to us. Uh, this is this great wealth that we've been given and this great responsibility to take the message of Christ, the cause of Christ, and to advance that cause in the earth. So, he calls the servants, entrusts his wealth to them. To one in this parable, he gave five bags of gold. Some, again, we'll say five talents, but that's what it means. Uh, to another, two bags of gold, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. He gave them, again, the analogy is great, because we don't all have the same abilities. Uh, we're all equal in the eyes of God, but uh, people have different talents, different abilities, uh, you know, so we're all aware of that. So he does this, and then he goes on his journey. Well, the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more, which is the point. Someone, you invest your money, your wealth with someone, you expect them to take that and to create even greater wealth. That's the whole idea behind investing. So also the guy with two bags of gold went out, did the same thing, and he gained two more. Both guys doubled what they had received. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Well, after a long time, Jesus said, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Now that's the phrase we all want to hear someday 
when we stand before God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, sadly, uh, faithfulness is something that is becoming more and more rare supply uh, in America today. Everybody say faithful. Faithful, okay, faithful. But what does it mean to be faithful? I was looking at uh, the dictionary. Here's some definitions. Faithful it means maintaining allegiance, consistency, loyalty. It's marked by or showing a strong sense of duty or responsibility. It implies steadfast adherence to a person or thing to which one is bound. It implies, implies undeviating allegiance to a person, cause, or institution. It suggests freedom from fickleness. Fickleness. It's a word you don't use very often. You're so fickle. Freedom from fickleness. We want you to be fickle-free here. Free from fickleness in, a, in affections or loyalties and implies such strong allegiance to one's principles or purpose as not to be turned aside by, by any cause. Faithfulness. You commit yourself uh, undeviating allegiance to a cause or institution or a person. That's what it means to be faithful. We don't have a lot of faithfulness today in America. It's actually become part of our culture to celebrate not being faithful. We love the idea of sticking it to the man, right? Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. We love these songs. We celebrate it. Any chance to stick it to the guy. Any organization, any sense of authority, as we've talked recently, you know, people despise authority. We hate the idea of authority. We want to tell everybody to stick it. We love it. We laugh. We celebrate. Just heard about a guy in the news who bought a house uh, right next to his ex-wife and uh, erected a big statue. And the statue is a hand with just one digit. Uh, and it was pointed right at the ex-wife's house. Now, now, this is one mad guy with money, I got to tell you right now. But uh, so basically, every day she gets up, she looks out the window, and there's this big statue flipping her off. So, and of course, you hear this on the news, and they share this, the late night comments, everybody claps and cheers, yeah, tell her to stick it, you know, and uh, that's kind of where we are today. There's not a sense of uh, faithfulness, of commitment, of, oddly enough, if you were to ask most people, it's something they desire greatly in their lives, is that people would be faithful to them, they would be faithful to others, but when push comes to shove, uh, we're not very faithful to people today. And as soon as we are inconvenienced by anybody, anything, any organization, any institution, we find all sorts of creative ways to tell them to stick it. And uh, we're not very faithful today. It takes very little for people, uh, like in churches, to leave the church. People will leave churches for some of the stupidest reasons on earth. Oh, they make a big deal out of it. Is there some spiritual undertow and well I think this la 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 but the bottom line is they're unfaithful you leave you're unfaithful it's just that's not it doesn't take uh, rocket science to figure that out it is what it is and they run around they're unfaithful from one place to the next place to the next place to the next place it is a problem in America today it's a problem in churches uh, America used to be the kind of place where people 
greatly valued faithfulness and, and, and truth and honesty and commitment. You know, when I was growing up and for the greatest length of America's existence, most people in America hated doing business with contracts. You didn't do contracts. Uh, even when I was growing up, you know, the generation before me, I, I would frequently see they, would, they never wanted to do a contract. You shook hands. That's all you had to do. You were a man of your word, man of commitment. You know, there were no such thing as contracts. Today we have contracts for everything. You can't go anywhere without a contract. You can't even buy one of these without a contract. In fact, just using one of these things, you frequently have to push a button that says, I agree to all the terms and conditions of a contract, which none of you have ever read. <laughs> for all you know, you've given them your house. Okay? You can't do jack today without contract, some kind of way to force people to be faithful which isn't really much of a definition of faithfulness. Um, and it's just sad, you know. Faithfulness is something that is determined. You stick with it uh, over time, over a length of time. You, you stay with it. Uh, that's how you really determine faithfulness uh, between a, a man and a woman, people who do it, and they stick with it over time. It's easy in the beginning. Everybody likes each other in the beginning, you know. <laughs> you got these people dating. They're in a delusional state. Ha 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 ha. You know. And they come and they want to do marriage counseling, pre marriage counseling, which I still think is one of the most unfruitful <laughs> waste of time that we do. But you got to do it. I know you got to do it. But there's no, but they're not listening to you. None of them are listening. They're on drugs. You know. <laughs> Ah, yeah, that's right. Ah. People ask me to marry them. Some of you are real strong. You'll hang out for me because I can only do it so many times a year. But the ones who ask me to marry them, I say, I'll marry you if you come a year later. You promise you'll come and talk to me a year after you're married. Then we do the counseling. Now we got something to talk about. <laughs> you know, because you can't talk about anything when they're dating. They're just delusional. Trying to reason with dating people is like trying to have a conversation about advanced mathematics with an alcoholic on a bar stool. That's right, that's what I think. I know exactly what I'm talking about. You know. They're delusional. True faithfulness is over time. Someone who really sticks with something over time. What kind of person are you? How many churches have you belonged to? You know, look, I'm glad you're here, but at some point, you need to get with the program. You need to learn to be faithful. You need to commit to something. Uh, you know, especially when things are hard. Easy to be faithful to something you like. Faithfulness really shows up when you don't like stuff. You know, easy in the beginning. You know, and then you have the trials in life. We're <laughs> talking, I came to the office this morning, and they were discussing about their spouse being sick and hurling all over the place, you know. And nothing quite tests you like hurling. And, uh, of course, they were saying, you know, in the beginning, early on in the relationship, you're very compassionate when they're hurling. And you're holding her hair back and you're stroking her. And, you know, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And after several years, it's like, don't hurl in here. Go over there and hurl, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Control your hurling. What's the matter with you, you know? <laughs> because that's where the test really kicks in over time uh, are you a faithful person 
sadly, I would say most people in most churches are truly not faithful. Let's face it, most people come to a church because they happen to like what's happening at that church at any given moment. They like the songs, they like the singer, they like the preacher, they like that, but the minute you change something, they tell you to stick it. Of course, they spiritualize. So I'm, I'm faithful to Jesus. I'm just not going to be faithful to some organization. You know, you're delusional. The Bible's very clear. You only love God as much as you love people. Straight up. You say, the Bible, in fact, the Bible says, if you claim to love God but hate somebody, you're a liar, the Bible says. Ooh, kind of strong words, huh? Well, I love, I love Jesus. I just hate you. No, you're crazy. You don't love Jesus. I love Jesus. I just want my ex-wife to die and go to hell. No, that's, that's a problem. Okay? Now, you can delude yourself as much as you want, but that's not love. Okay? Real love gets in the trenches. Real love is when everything's icky and the hurl is hitting the fan. <laughs> that's disgusting. Anyway, uh, God celebrates faithfulness. You want to hear the word someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. This guy went out, took what God, what God gave him, this guy in the analogy, Master gave him and took the five bags of gold, made five more. Then the man with two bags of gold also came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. Look, I've gained two more. And he heard the same wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. This phrase oftentimes confuses people. Let me put it to you in plain English. The, the analogy here is what he's saying. Look, I know you are a tough businessman and you succeed everywhere you go. All right? You make money where nobody else makes money. I mean, whatever you touch turns to gold. You, are, you know, this is the Donald Trump of the day. You know, you're, you're one tough cookie. And I didn't want to make a mistake. Okay, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground, verse 25 says. See, here's what belongs to you. And he gives him back the one bag of gold. Well, the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I'm a successful businessman and I'm a tough negotiator and successful guy. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers at a minimum. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So... Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. And whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Again, the analogy here is the final day. Uh, and this is very uncomfortable teaching for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like this part of the Bible <laughs> for obvious reasons. But there's going to be a day. There's going to be a judgment day. We will all be there. Nobody gets out of it. And we will all have to give an account of our lives before God. The first parable was about being ready. Don't fall asleep. You've got to be prepared for this. Second one, he's taken to task. People who uh, on that day will have, even what they come up with will be taken away from them because they were not productive in the kingdom of God. So take away even what they have. And Jesus says this. And then throw that worthless servant outside. Into the darkness. Where there will be weeping. And gnashing of teeth. People ask what does that mean pastor? I don't know. Sounds bad to me. 
I don't want to be in that category. You don't want to be in that category. So here is what we have. The picture of two people who were extremely profitable with what God had given them. The analogy being God. Uh, and one who played it safe and didn't want to make any mistakes and did little to nothing. Uh, I believe that in early Christianity, the first two was the norm. The last guy was the exception. Clearly in this parable, he's the exception. Two did it right, the exception did it wrong. Christians early on were extremely passionate about the kingdom of God and they gave everything. They gave it all. They weren't consumed and distracted by all the stupid things of life. They stayed focused and they took all their energy, all their talents, they took their money, their abilities, everything, and they poured it into the kingdom of God. Those early Christians in a very short period of time literally turned the world upside down. I mean, they overcame and brought the Roman Empire to its knees. They started out, the Romans were throwing them to the lions laughing at them. By the time they're done, you know, the Roman Empire is a, proclaiming Christianity is the, is the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. This was a big stinking deal, and it happened in a relatively short period of time because of people who were so passionate and so committed to the cause of Christ. And they went, and they went everywhere around the world, changing the world and establishing the kingdom of God. My fear today is that the last guy now has become the norm. And the first two are the exception. Jesus warned that in the last days, the love of many would grow cold. And I fear that many people's love for God has grown cold. They are extremely unfaithful to virtually anything that makes them uncomfortable or anything they disagree with. And by and large, they are not very productive with what God has given them. And I think a lot of it has been uh, promulgated or encouraged by teaching from the Bible that has not really been accurate. It sounds spiritual, but it's really not biblical. We have lots of stuff like that where it sounds so spiritual, but uh, when it really comes down to it, it's really not very biblical. One of the things that we have overdone when I say we, I'm talking about evangelical Christianity in general. And a lot of it comes from preachers and teachers that you hear on radio and television. And a lot of these guys who have big microphones and they have proclaimed and really put a heavy emphasis on this concept. That above all, the most important thing is that you listen to the Lord and do what God tells you to do. Are you doing what God tells you. Because God told me this and then I did this and I went over here. God told me that and I went over here and I said, God, what did you do? And God told me this and these guys, God's telling them everything. Now, I don't know who these guys are. I don't know, well, I know who they are. <laughs> I don't know what they're experiencing. I got to tell you, that has not been my experience. I don't walk around with God constantly giving me three-second instructions on every little detail in my life. I know very few people, uh, well, actually, I don't know anybody like that. I know people who claim to be like that. They tend to be a little crazy. Uh, and it's been overdone. And their biggest emphasis is above all, don't do anything unless you hear from the Lord. God has to tell you what to do in every area of Christianity. In fact, just this morning alone, now you don't hear these words ever at Celebration Church. Uh, but I promise you, the vast majority of evangelical Christians this morning, as they're getting ready to take the offering, will hear this encouragement. Let's bow our heads 
and ask what the Lord would have you do. You've heard it a million times. If you've ever been to any other church, you've heard it. Uh, we don't talk in those terms because it's blatantly unbiblical. God doesn't go around telling people how much money to give. Okay, the Bible never talks in those terms. The Bible says, when you come, you should come already determined in your heart what you will give. Paul encouraged us, look, how much should we give? He says, look, if you give a little, you'll get a little back. If you will be generous, God will be generous with you. If you sow much, you will reap much. If you sow little, that's the premise. Of course, then you have the, the, the concept of tithing, very clear. You don't need revelations and stuff like that. This idea that you bow and ask God to tell you what to do sounds so spiritual. And this is from people who are pretty unspiritual. But yet when it comes to, oh yeah, I'm just going to pray. Just, I'm going to ask God what to give. Let's see. A, a, a thousand. No, it can't be a thousand. No, it can't be right. A, move that dot. A yeah, hundred. Yeah. Ten. Yeah, I feel, yes, ten. The Lord wants me to give ten dollars today. You know, whatever sounds and thoughts and pizza they ate the night before pops into their head. They are convinced they are hearing from God. They're so spiritual. Man, if we were that spiritual, we'd be changing the world. We are not that spiritual. The kingdom of God is not advancing like it should, despite the self-delusion of people waiting for God to tell them what to do. And we have people who don't do anything in the kingdom of God because they're waiting for the Lord to make it clear for them. And they're constantly trying to figure out God's will. What's God's will? Brother, I'm trying to understand the Lord's will. I don't know what to do. You know how many people I've spent time with? You know how many people you send out there? You struggle. What's God's will? What's God's will for my life? It's the Rubik's Cube. What's God's will? And you spend, you're in your 30s and you're trying to undo the cube. And you're in your 40s and you're still doing the cube. You're in your 50s and 60s and 70s and you're still haven't figured out the cube. Spinning and accomplishing little to nothing. Obsessed by it. I just, I, just, I, just want to, I just want to know what God's will is. I don't know what God's will is. How many here are parents? Let me see your hand. Your parents. You have, you have children. All right. Let me ask this lovely mother right here. If you want your children to do something, do you clearly tell them what to do or do you wait for them to come and seek your face? A or B? A. A and B. <laughs> you would like B, wouldn't you? That'd be great. Yeah. I'm pretty sure most of you would pick A. Now, Jesus would pretty much say something like this. If you then, being evil, know how to be clear with your children, why do you think God would not be clear with you? I'm pretty clear. We work clear. You don't have little children anymore. Grandchildren, but we spoil the snot out of them. Uh, <laughs> but with your children, you don't have that luxury. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, though, I got to tell you. Um, but, you know, it's, you, know you, you told them. I didn't expect my children to come to me and say, Father, Father, I'm, I'm just trying to seek your face here. And, uh, do, do you want me to pick up my underwear or not? I just, I, just, I have it over here. I'd really like to know what you But yet, that has been encouraged to a huge degree. When a point of fact, you say, well, what's the will of God? Read your Bible. There's the will of God. It tells you how to act, how to deal with your husband, how to deal with your wife, how to deal with your children, how to deal with your employees, how to deal with your boss, how to deal with one another, what we should do, what we should not do. It's all very, very clear. In fact, if you're confused about it, just read the book of Ephesians, a very short one. Pretty much lays out the whole thing. 
That's how you're supposed to live. It's very clear. Well, I don't know what I should do for the Lord. Here's what you should do. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. In fact, you're asking the wrong question. You shouldn't be asking, uh, uh, you know, what should I do? The question you should be asking is, what can I do? What can you do? What can you do? That's what you should do. And quit spending all this time spinning your wheels. I'm telling you guys, there's a day coming. That's all of this point. Jesus was telling us in uncertain terms. Clear as a bell, enough to creep us out. There's a day coming, you better be ready. And part of that day, in the second parable, is there is going to be an accounting. You better have shown something for the time that you're here. And do not be like the foolish person who took the talent and was afraid, and I don't want to make a mistake. I'm going to bury my talent in this hole right here. I'm going to be real careful because I don't want to make any mistakes. You know, praise God. I'm just waiting for the Lord to tell me what to do with this talent under my butt. Praise God, praise God. And you're in your 30s, and your 40s, and your 50s, and your 60s, and your 70s, 80s, and you kick the bucket. And accomplish little to nothing. That I'm telling you, do not live your life this way. God is a big boy. If he wants you to do something different, he will steer you in that direction. Because you can trust him. And all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. If you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all men generously. But get on with it. Do not be sitting around in your Christian experience, sitting upon your keister, doing nothing, thinking you're spiritual because you're waiting for the Lord to tell you what to do. What can you do? Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. What's in your heart, be passionate about it. Go for it. Let God direct you. The leading of the Holy Spirit is very much like a rudder on a ship. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat, but if a boat is sitting perfectly still, the rudder doesn't do jack squat. You can sit there and just... Nothing happens. But if you're going 60 miles an hour on a really fast boat, and you go... You're in for a ride, Jack. <laughs> okay? Because now that rudder's got some hoochie-mama to it. You know what I'm saying? The faster it goes, the more sensitive that rudder is. Because now it really has some kick to it. Same like flying an airplane. On the airplane, my airplane, I just sold my airplane. But if I sit on the airplane and you sit on the tarmac and just go, wee, nothing happens. You start, the faster you go, the more pull it has. And the slower it flies, if you're real going slow, it takes more adjustments to make it happen. You're going really, you'd be surprised when you're going 300 miles an hour, what that will do. <laughs> it has some, you've got to be moving. When you start moving, start doing, so God, the Holy Spirit can come in and start directing these little nuances in your life and get you in the right direction and he can be clear to you. And if he wants you to do something, he'll tell you, just like a parent would to his kid. No way are you more righteous than God in being clear with your children. Why would God intentionally hide his will from you? So well, I don't know what to do. Just get on with it then. Quit asking the question. What can you do? Do it. Do it with all your heart. Get connected somewhere. Be faithful. Okay? Faithful. Something you can write out for a long period of time and get involved. Bless your pee-picking hearts. 
you know, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I better stop. I just, I don't know what people are thinking. I really don't know what you're thinking. You have got, number one, Jesus said, you need to be ready. Number two, you better have shown something for the time. You better not be sitting on what he's given you and doing little to nothing with your life. Don't let your whole life be about you working your job and making money and saving money for retirement and moving down to Florida. Which if you do, invite me because I want to come see. But, uh, it's cold up here. That's, you know, I'm not against those things, but that better not be your whole life. If that's your whole life in existence, your whole, all your energy, everything about you, making money, saving money, retiring, and moving someplace warm, that's it. I feel sorry for you. You need to take your energy, your time, part of your money, and make a difference in people's lives. There is going to be a day we will all stand before God. Now, next Sunday, in the third parable, we are going to find out more about that day we will stand before God. The big test we'll have to take. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy, if I'm about to take the test, I like to know the questions ahead of time. Right? How many of you would like to see the questions before you take the test? Do you know Jesus is going to clearly tell us and he's already telling us right now. But next week, there's going to be some very specific questions we're going to be asked. Do you know what those questions are? You ever read them? You know you're going to take the test, right? Next week, we're going to take a look at those questions. Are you ready with your answer? I'm telling you, this stuff is serious stuff. We need to take our faith seriously. All of these last words of Jesus before he starts his passion and suffering is about a day that is coming that we all need to be ready for. Nobody gets a pass. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us to take your word seriously. Help us, Lord God, to take life seriously. Help us not to waste our lives caught up in the day-to-day -day living where we wind up not being very effective. We've given little to nothing. We've sacrificed little. We've volunteered little we've whatever all these things are lord help us to take this seriously i pray your word would be powerful in our hearts and lives help us to be the kind of people who are committed who are faithful and who are productive for advancing the cause of christ in jesus name we pray amen see you next week